0: Hey there, it's Colleen Thomas from Shame Piñata. I'm happy to announce that in addition to our regular monthly show, we are producing a new series called Daily Magic for Peace. Each short episode gives you a chance to focus your intentions, prayers,
1: and actions toward healing the crisis in Ukraine. We'll get centered and then send our magic out where it's needed. If you feel like you've done all you can, but
0: you still want to do more, join us in doing some Daily Magic for Peace.
2: This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about reimagining life through creativity and community. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. My interest in yard work is a lot like a solar eclipse, it occurs about every 18 months, and the shadow that it casts makes me stop and look intently at things that I typically pass by without a second thought. Gardening, yard tending, plant watering, and general maintenance of all things that grow are generally activities that fall to my husband, Nate. It's not that I'm unwilling to help. It's just that those chores seem to consistently fall off my radar, as evidenced by the many orchids that have perished at my hands because I remembered too late that they needed watering. Or maybe I gave them too much water? I'm still not sure.
0: Neighbors might describe our landscaping approach as affectionate neglect, between producing weekly episodes, mentoring 16 graduates through our intensive training program, Kasama Collective, forming a nonprofit, and recently launching that curriculum as a self-paced course, Kasama Labs, the past two years have had us working more than ever before. With the rain the past few months, the jungle at 3039 Madeline Street even attracted Laura's notice. I hand weed when I can, but Laura isn't an incremental improvement type of person. She's more of a striving for great things through great bursts of energy person. So, one afternoon recently, Laura grabbed the hedge trimmer to cut back the Japanese irises, which, over the almost 14 years we've been in our house, have spread and spread. Sure, I said, glad that she was offering to help. I went back to work, tuning out the intermittent background buzz. Then sometime later, Laura sticks her head into the shed and asks casually, So, what should I use if I want to cut something a little bigger? and, answering without really paying attention, I said, well, you probably want the limb loppers, and I went back to work, not noticing that it had become suspiciously quiet. While later, I emerged from the shed and walked out into the front yard, now a near unrecognizable wasteland of clippings and branches. Everything at waist height or lower had been savagely hacked, as if a small helicopter had crash-landed in our yard and hit all the bushes on the way down. It wasn't shaping or trimming so much as rage pruning, where only one of them, human or nature, was going to get out alive. The most forlorn victim was the big camellia bush next to the driveway, which had been reduced from its former oval-shaped abundance to a scraggly skeleton with a few remaining leaves, evidently out of Laura's reach, clinging to the top. In the middle of the piles of debris was Laura, holding the limb loppers with a look on her face that reminded me of Matea after she'd self-haircut her bangs down to the scalp. Half proud, half knowing she'd perhaps taken this mischief a little too far. Well, I said after a pause, at least the yard isn't overgrown anymore.
2: I hadn't intended to rage prune, but as I decimated the overgrown lavender and hacked the Japanese irises into submission, my gaze fell on that 12-foot tall camellia bush. It sits at the front corner of our house next to the driveway, and it sprouts pink blooms twice a year, but at least twice a week, it snags my jacket or scratches my shoulder as I squeeze past it. It's a small but regular annoyance, symbolic of all of those parts of life where we bend and hunch every day, rather than taking the time to deal with the root of the problem. But not today, I thought, tightening my grip on the hedge trimmer. Not today. First, I trimmed back the outside greenery, exposing the ugly porcupine of twiggy branches inside. Then I cut a little deeper, thinking it would be nice if the bush didn't grow so far into our already narrow driveway. Then I lopped off some of the branches above me, waving the power tool dangerously above my head like some villain from a Chainsaw Massacre movie. And that's when I saw that the bush was not a bush at all, but a tree. Inspired by this perspective shift, I kept cutting until at last I could see limbs as thick as a child's arm and a nice sturdy trunk with branches that forked like a Y. I found the limb loppers, the ones with the telescoping handles for maximum leverage, and took off a few of the lower branches to make it less bush and more tree. The more I cut, the surer I felt that this change was a great one. It was in that moment that I realized the change I was after wasn't just about the tree. In last week's episode, A Time to Change, we shared some big news. We'll bring this chapter of Shelter in Place to a close at 200 episodes. And we'll announce the name for our next project in our season finale episode. We'll be dropping little hints about that name between now and then for those of you who like a good puzzle. Whether you're new or have been with us from the very beginning, we want to hear from you about what Shelter in Place has meant to you. You can find instructions on how to submit a voice memo in the show notes for today and at shelterinplacepodcast.org. We'll include as many of those voice notes as we can in our finale episode next month. The force that compelled me to hack down that camellia tree to its bones didn't just apply to our front yard landscaping. It applied to my life, to the sense that I'd had for a very long time, that we needed to do things differently if we were going to make this life sustainable. I wasn't worried about the tree. It had survived my rage pruning before. I knew it would survive it again. I could already imagine my unobstructed path from the car to the front door of the house, how much easier it would be to string up those lights next Christmas. But Nate wasn't so sure. Please stop, I said with a
0: grimace, holding my hand out for the limb loppers. You've done plenty. Right then, our daughter Grace came outside and saw the tree. She glided right past the piles of yard waste everywhere. Look, she said, leaning into the Y shape of the lower branches. It fits me perfectly. What had been hidden before was that the camellia had branches like a child's seat, and it was just big enough for Grace to fit inside. Seeing her delight, I felt myself relax a little bit. I guess the leaves will grow back eventually, I said. Give it a couple weeks, replied Laura. This is going to be my new spot to play, Grace added. Just like that, I was brought back to reality. Grace reminded me that trees, like hair, usually recover from cuttings, and that happiness is found in all kinds of places. Which is why we're spending an entire episode today, in honor of Grace's birthday month, to see the world from her perch in those branches, where she took what seemed like a mistake and turned it into delight that even I could see. We're calling it Eight Secrets for Guaranteed Happiness,
2: or what we can learn from our almost eight-year-old Grace. Secret number one, happiness begins in the morning. The past couple of years have been filled with so much uncertainty and disruption. But one of the things I've been able to count on is that every morning at 7 a.m., Grace will shuffle out of her room, trailing bedhead and her polka-dot fleece blanket, ready to face another day. When Grace was younger and regularly waking up at 5.30 instead of seven, her internal alarm clock was a pain point for our family. But these days I've come to appreciate her reliability and also to understand it better. When the pandemic began, a switch flipped inside me that's had me up at 5 a.m. almost every morning since. For the first time in my life, I've come to appreciate the dark hours before dawn when the noise and clutter of daylight hasn't yet broken in. As a former collegiate running coach, I've long been aware of the studies that point to regular bedtimes as a key to sleep quality and also to recovery and athletic performance. But it was only recently that I became aware of the productivity cult around the 5 a.m. workday. While it's true that I've found those early morning hours to be my most productive, what intrigues me even more is that there's a correlation between early risers and happiness. A recent University of Warsaw study surveyed over 1,000 adults ages 18 to 55 and found that morning people consistently reported higher levels of well-being and satisfaction than night owls. A similar study found that morning people experience less depression, seasonal affective disorder, and substance abuse than night owls. Neuroscientists say that some of this can be explained because night owls typically get exposed to less natural light, or they simply sleep less. But the studies also pointed out a more subtle variable for early bird happiness, relationships. The link between social support systems and happiness is well-established. And it seems that the consistent rhythms of the early riser lend themselves better to connecting with others and seeking out support. It's also kind of a chicken-and-the-egg thing, because people who have better social connections tend to get better sleep than those who spend a lot of time disconnected from others. Before I became a morning person myself, it used to annoy me that Grace would wake up early. It was harsh to be robbed of the joy of sleeping in. But these days, Grace's predictable morning wake up is a reminder to me of what's really important. On the mornings when I feel overwhelmed by work and I begin the day feeling stressed, I see her there snuggled up on her fleece blanket on the couch, waiting for me to scoop her up in my arms. Often, she and I are the only ones up. It's my daily reminder that often the secret to happiness is right in front of us, just waiting to be snuggled.
0: Which brings us to secret number two. Happiness is better together. On the days when we forget how much social connection matters, or every single day, many times a day, Grace reminds us that life is better with others, especially when others equal friends. She's very inclusive in her definition of that word. She's just as happy if the neighbor baby, Rehan, comes over as if her classmates, Eloise or Alina, do. And if there's a dog to be leashed and walked, that dog is a girl's best friend.
2: For Grace, a day without friends is a day without sunshine, flowers, and music. Laughter and delight turn to weeping and gnashing of teeth. Life is horribly unfair when your parents ask you to help out with chores, or your siblings get snacks at school that you didn't. But when Grace does have a friend over, the clouds part, and the world is just and right. The afternoons pass with smiles and self-serve snacks, an abundance of generosity for everyone, and an industriousness astonishing for someone still in the single digits. Grace has been known to single-handedly teach preschoolers how to spell their names and get them excited about pretending to nap. Animals who find themselves leashed to Grace quickly learn to accept that they have become her new toy, doted on perhaps a little more than they would like, but at least it's attention. Not surprisingly, Grace has been begging us for a dog for years, to which the answer is always. We can talk about getting a dog when you learn to put away your clothes instead of scattering them on your bedroom floor. So far, we're in no danger of getting a pet.
0: Since planning and logistics are one of my glaring weaknesses, constantly being pressed into the role of social manager is quite taxing. We're talking about the guy who sometimes has trouble remembering the same weekday carpool schedule we've been doing with the neighbors for the last four months. But even I have to admit that Grace is on to something. In
2: 1938, Harvard University began what is now the longest-running study on happiness, running for more than 80 years. The project followed a group of male students, and later their spouses, kids, and additional control groups, observing what did and did not make them happy over time. What the study found is this. Close relationships, more than money or fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Yes, not smoking or abusing alcohol are important but people's level of satisfaction with their relationships at age 50 was a better predictor of physical health than their cholesterol levels were. Good relationships delay mental and physical decline, and they're better predictors of long and happy lives than intelligence, social class, or even genetics, Even more shocking are recent studies on loneliness, which show that social isolation is associated with a 50% increased chance of dementia, a 29% increased risk of heart disease, and a 32% increased risk of stroke. Being lonely may be as bad for your long-term health as smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. So let's invest in our close relationships. If you don't know where to begin, check out the Campaign to End Loneliness in our show notes. And if you're in the neighborhood, step on by. We can jump together on the trampoline. I'll be right back with more of this story right after this short break. My friend Adriana begins every year with a word. I love this idea. And the word I want to claim for this year is joy. This year, joy has come in a way that surprised me through the classes I've been taking with Making Wave Studios, which offers Zumba, yoga, and meditation. If you heard our recent episodes, Dancing Saved My Life and Finding the Fuego, then you've already heard me talk about the founders, two incredible women who have learned how to find joy in dance during some of the hardest moments of their lives and who are sharing that gift with the rest of us, one wonderful class at a time. You can sign up for their online and in-person classes at makingwavestudios.com.
0: Secret number three, happiness can be learned and might require a lovey. If you're thinking that you're too introverted to invest in relationships, Grace has an answer for you too. Get yourself a lovey. For those of you not familiar, lovey is the nauseatingly saccharine term universally used to define this generation's update to blankets and stuffed animals. Essentially, it's a cross between the two, a stuffed animal head with a mini blanket body. Grace's lovey, loosely inspired by a cow, was originally nicknamed peppermint, which got shortened to Happy because kids. And one time, many years and facial oil exposures ago, it was white with gray spots. Now it's a bleach resisting mottled beige, the color of Grace's devotion. From morning till night, whenever she can get away with it, Grace holds Pappy over her face, a bed flavored air filter through which to mediate her experience.
2: The germaphobe in me, especially since COVID, bristles at how Pappy often accompanies Grace everywhere from bed to backyard. But as is often the case, there's a grown up lesson hiding inside a childlike behavior pattern. If we're ever going to go back to working in offices and in-person everything, we all need to carry around grubby pieces of cloth to sniff so we don't yell at the coworker who once again scheduled a meeting for something that could have been accomplished in an email. Just kidding. But what Pappy symbolizes is Grace's ability to self-regulate her emotions. That lovey has gotten her through tantrums and tears, It's helped her to have something physical to hold on to when her emotions are hard to grasp. If more of us adults had developed healthy practices for emotional management, we might not need quite so many 12-step groups, therapists, or lawyers. Does it make me wince every single time Grace puts something over her face that's also been on the front porch and the bathroom floor? Every time. But is self-regulating negative emotions better than an outburst, repression, or being passive-aggressive? I think so.
0: I wanted to call this episode Sniffing Pappy, Choosing Happy, but Laura shot that one down. In an article about learned optimism, Dr. Hannah England writes that those who develop the ability to see the world from a positive point of view can reap significant benefits, including improved health, lower stress levels, increased career success, and even a longer lifespan and she says that even if we're glass-half-empty kind of people, we can learn to be happier by choosing to anchor our experiences to things that bring us delight and joy. Things like Pappy. We saw this truth play out in real life in our two-part episode, A Better Age, where we heard from people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. The big takeaway from those conversations was that happiness didn't come from having an easy life. There was plenty of heartache and loss in their stories, but all of them had learned to make a habit out of focusing on the good things around them. So whether your happiness comes from a dirty lovey like Pappy, or a daily practice of meditation or prayer, or simply stopping to count your breaths for a single minute, happiness is something we can all grasp if we're willing to choose it.
2: Secret number four, happiness needs a party. A few weeks ago during our parent-teacher conference with Maestro Romero, Grace's second grade teacher told us that before February was even over, Grace had been coming to school with a very specific concern, which she shared daily during circle time. She said she was concerned because her brother's birthday was coming up, and she didn't know if her parents were even planning a party. We were, and also this was at least five weeks before Gabe's birthday. But learning about that moment after the fact made us realize just how much our daughter loves a good party. Long before the actual party that Gabe had barely thought about, Grace had plans for the food, party activities, and guest list. She was impressively good at thinking through every detail, maybe because she'd just done the same exact thing for her sister's birthday in February. But once again, it turns out that Grace's default is set toward happy living. And a story for psychology today, Psychologist and professor Lynn Zuberness says that anticipation of something good releases dopamine, that feel-good brain chemical that makes us feel happier. And even more interesting, there's still value in anticipation, even if those things that we're planning end up not working out. MRI studies show that anticipation correlates with higher brain activation and better well-being. That particular study did not say whether or not dopamine got canceled out if, say, an exasperated parent responded with irritation at being asked about a distant birthday party for the 23rd time.
0: So, Grace, I apologize for some of my grumpiness around all the birthday planning. And yes, let's get talking about theme colors for my birthday in October. And let's get talking about your party in a few weeks. If you're listening out there and wind up on the guest list, wear something pink.
2: Secret number six happiness is a musical for years we've been able to track grace's location around the house by whatever song she's warbling i can mostly blame myself for that one i was raised on musicals and i have taken it upon myself to raise my kids that way too though admittedly sometimes this backfires as they haven't all aged equally Hashtag music man me too anyone? I've been a singer all my life. My first solo was on stage at church before I was Grace's age. In college, I sang in an a cappella group. I was the roommate who sang in the shower, who was as likely to be singing and playing guitar as I was studying or hanging out with friends. And yet it's only been recently, when I've heard Grace belting out her solos with impressive gusto, that I remembered how happy music used to make me, and singing in particular. Somewhere in the busyness and stress of adulting, I'd forgotten that and done it less and less. Right now, Grace knows this secret to happiness by heart. In a truly delightful study that followed cancer patients who sang, researchers found that singing can improve mood and lower stress. In other words, it can make us happier. So whatever you think of musicals, Sing along, cause life is better when you're living in one. Which brings us to secret number seven. Happiness needs a mommy. And sometimes that mommy is us. Before I became a mom, I used to worry that I lacked whatever maternal instinct chromosome every woman I knew had. I never had the baby bug, and still don't. And even as a kid, no amount of money could make me enjoy babysitting. Thankfully, this has not stopped me from loving my children. And I try to make up in snuggle time or quality conversation what I lack in enthusiasm over early childhood development. But looking at Grace, I'm inclined to think that the motherly instinct gene skipped a generation, even though she was not yet three when her baby sister was born. Grace immediately established herself as the other mommy, a title that she still carries today. Matea liked me just fine, but certain tears could only be comforted by Grace. I'll never forget Grace's first day of kindergarten, when I asked a friend to walk her inside while I parked the car since we were running late and Matea was with me. The minute Grace said goodbye, Matea started wailing. Mommy! I'm right here, sweetie, I said, reaching back to her car seat from the driver's seat. Not you, she said without missing a beat. The other mommy.
0: The caregiving theme continues today. No baby left unheld, could be Grace's motto. There's a baby to be held and played with, she'll find it. Remarkably, babies seem to know that she can be trusted. They calm in her arms, instantly aware that they're with a veteran other mommy.
2: And as usual, there's a life lesson for us older folks too. Studies show that people who perform more daily acts of kindness and help others are less likely to feel stressed. And those same people reported more stress and negativity on the days when they weren't able to help someone. Maybe that's because when we go out of our way to help others and extend kindness, it gets our minds off of our own problems. So, whether it's holding babies or giving up your seat to someone who's going to have one, Let's take a note from Grace and learn how to give some love to those around us. Secret number eight. Sometimes happiness uncovers the delight that's been there all along.
0: But let's get back to our front yard and that poor camellia bush. Seeing Grace perched in the newly revealed branches brought into the open, secret number eight. Sometimes happiness is uncovering what was hidden. Sometimes that means a radical change, stopping and dealing with an obstacle in our life so that we can have a clear path to the place we want to go. Sometimes it means cutting back what was there so it can grow into a shape better suited to its surroundings. Sometimes it means removing branches to discover what's essential underneath. Which is not to say that uncovering that change is easy or that there aren't trade-offs. It'll be a while, Quite a while until that bush leafs out again and no longer looks like a knobbly skeleton. That ugly water meter that used to be concealed under the camellia's lower branches is now clearly visible. But even I have to admit this change, like the changes we're making here at in Place, is ultimately a change for the good. We can now walk straight from the car to the front door without contorting or snagging our clothes. Little by little, we've been pulling out overgrown plants with embedded root systems and replacing them with more low-maintenance and drought-tolerant succulents. Our yard is being restored to order, and perhaps best of all, we now have a daily reminder of all that Grace has to teach us about happiness. That sometimes the way to get there is simply by discovering a place that was just a part of the yard before, but now gives her a new way to see the world.
2: Through every episode of Shelter in Place, We've tried to be real with you about the struggle in a life that often feels overgrown or untended. We've shared these snapshots of our weed-filled yard and work-life imbalance because we hope that it makes you feel less alone and the moments when life feels overgrown with overwhelm and overwork. We hope that you felt some solidarity in our stories, especially in those moments when the secret to your own happiness requires a little rage pruning. Whether you're new here or have been with us from the very beginning, we can't wait to hear what Shelter in Place has meant to you. You can find instructions on how to send us a voice memo for our season finale episode on our website, shelterinplacepodcast.org. The music you heard in today's episode was a special gift from a lifelong friend, Jake Armerding, who also knows that life is indeed better as a musical. Jake's new album, Where These Songs Came From, is coming out in May, You can learn more about Jake and find links to every single bit of research we mentioned in today's episode in our show notes at shelterinplacepodcast.org. And if you want to make us a little bit happier, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, or any place that allows you to leave reviews. We are so close to 200 reviews, and we're hoping that you'll help us to get there before we get to 200 episodes. The shelter in place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Melissa Lent is our project manager. Sarah Edgel is our design director. Nate Davis is our creative director. And as always, I'm your host and executive producer. Until next time, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. And now if you're still listening, here's a little outtake.
1: What makes me happy is when I get a lot of attention, when the house is clean, when I get to spend time with Buck, a friend's dog, also my family, and Candy. <laughs> Speaking Spanish makes me happy. And when I go to school, my teacher is Maestra Romero and I love her because she's a really good teacher and she works really hard for us. And mommy
2: makes me happy.
1: When you read A Little Princess to me, it makes me feel really happy. When you snuggle me, I write with me in the morning and go on special trips with me. Mommy and I are going to go on a backpacking trip, maybe in May or something. We're going to go on a backpacking trip with my friend and her mom. It makes me happy when Gabe reads a book to me or when he goes on a walk with me and helps me find ladybugs. And Matea makes me happy because she's really funny. Daddy is really funny, and he taught me how to make breakfast and dinner and set the table. And he makes me happy because he makes sure I'm not left out. Never, never, never never for me, for me, for me.